remember, well, first, Cole, thanks for, thanks for reading. Now you know why you didn't want to preach it, because you heard the text. I remember hearing this text as a young kid at my childhood church, as we sat in the front row. And I clearly remember two things about hearing this text as a kid. The first is that where I heard it mattered to me. I heard it at the Abbey at St. John's. This is where my family went to church. It was a church where people regularly visited and said, Wow, look at this building. The architecture, the work that went into this grand place. And two, this text scared the heck out of me as a kid because the disciples were like wow look at the temple it's so incredible and big and beautiful and jesus responds with yeah uh i'm gonna destroy it and that was the message i got as a kid i know that it's probably not the intended message in fact i'm pretty sure it wasn't the intended message but that is what i heard when i heard this text Warning, this is all going to be torn down. And I think, if we're honest, that's what many of us hear in this text today. It's a scary, kind of foreboding, apocalyptic warning from Jesus, right? I mean, really, how can you hear it any other way? I think it's easy to skip this text or to choose to preach on Hebrews Like Katie did, obviously you can't look at the kids and be like, hey, this is all going to be torn down. They'll all have the reaction that I had when I was a kid, right? So we preach on Hebrews about God keeping promises. But I actually really like this text. I like taking the time to look a little closer at it. Now we are finishing up our year in Mark's gospel and Jesus kind of brings us full circle today. All year we've been hearing that the kingdom of God, the one that Jesus is here to bring us, never looks like we think it does. Power in the kingdom of God, for those who claim to follow Jesus, who even today call themselves Christian, power is never about large stones or grand buildings or walls or might. There's a reason that this text comes right after Jesus teaches his disciples about the leaders in the temple devouring widows and showing off their places of power. The kingdom never looks like we think it will look like. And if we're honest, it doesn't really look like we want it to look like either. Sure, we like to think we have this upside-down church of Jesus thing figured out, but Too often we also get distracted by grandeur and spectacle. We all have ways we measure greatness. And most, if not all, of those ways use a pretty messed up set of standards. We measure greatness in things, right? Clothes and cars, homes, vacations. You are what your money can buy. We measure greatness in power and position and production. You are who you know and what you get done. We measure greatness in health and in weight and in beauty and in followers and likes and retweets. You are how others see you. Anyone guilty? 
Any of those? Yeah, yeah, right? Local pastor and theologian David Lowe says, we are in a world where there is a constant and ongoing competition for our attention. We live in, nurture, and are trapped in a culture of the outrageous. A culture of the outrageous. What a phrase indeed. Unless we get on our high horse here in the church, we can't exempt ourselves. You would think somehow we might be less susceptible to this idolatry of grandeur, but we are not. We still measure greatness by numbers, by how many people show up for things, by worship attendance, by how big an act of faith someone shows, by how much someone serves or gives or prays. Again, anyone guilty? Yeah. And Jesus says, you see all this greatness around you, all your messed up metrics? All of it, all of it will be thrown down. Not one stone will be left upon another, he says. And that feels pretty clear, right? (laughs) It's not... There's not a lot of room to misunderstand what Jesus is saying in the moment, but as usual, here come the disciples, my favorite clueless group of dudes. And despite Jesus being pretty clear here, the question they ask afterwards is, um, can you give us more information about when that's going to happen and what it's going to look like? Which is a question I completely completely understand but as usual it is the wrong question see the right question here is not when or what or even how it is why jesus why are you gonna destroy the temple what does the temple represent is it still a true and healthy representation of the kingdom of god they ask these questions as they're looking at the temple across from the Mount of Olives. Now it's important to remember that Mark, the writer of this gospel, wrote this gospel and this text in particular in the midst of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. So the questions that people had about God's presence in the midst of trauma and destruction were particularly acute in that moment. If the temple is destroyed... Where is God? Because if God lives in the temple and the temple is destroyed, doesn't that mean that God has left the building? And if God leaves, where does that leave us? Where do we go? How do we find God if God's not there anymore? The disciples are asking this big question. If this is going to happen, can you give us some things to look for so we know when we should run? How will we know when it's time to abandon ship? And these questions are not so far removed from some of our own questions today. Where is God when we struggle in our own personal lives, when we struggle in our faith, when we struggle even here at church to trust in the midst of budget woes? And all of those things make us scared. And then we too ask the wrong questions. 
When will this be? And what will some signs look like so we can get ourselves ready? Jesus responds to that in such an unhelpful way. They ask for signs and Jesus responds with, Beware, no one leads you astray. Many will come and they will say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And there will be rumors of wars and there will be wars and nation will rise against nation and there's going to be famine and earthquakes. And here is where I panicked as a kid because that is scary, right? That list is sort of terrifying enough on its own, but I thought Jesus was saying everything's going to look bad and feel bad, but don't worry, it's just the start. Like, you think this is bad now, but it's going to get a lot worse. And you can see how people breeze past this text in order to get to something happier, right? But we look again. They ask, what will the beginning of the end look like? And Jesus says, you're going to think it's the end way before it's the end. People are going to trick you into being scared. They're going to trick you into giving power and leadership to the wrong kind of person. And when that happens, when power is given to the wrong kind of person, it really messes things up. It looks like chaos and war and famine. And it makes us afraid. And it will mess with you, Jesus says. You're going to get scared and you're going to think I'm not there. See, we have this messed up system of measuring greatness that we see in this temple, he says, as he's looking at the temple. And when it is destroyed, literally and figuratively, false teachers are going to step right into the void and say, oh, don't worry, that got destroyed. I'm here now. Don't be fooled. Greatness does not look like that anymore. Mark has been saying this to us for months. If you have been here at all since, I don't know, June or July, even one time, it's hard to miss it, right? Mark says greatness does not look like a temple and grand place. It looks like a child. It looks like the outcast and the ostracized. Greatness looks like a poor widow. It looks like the least. It looks like a servant washing feet. Greatness looks like a Messiah dying on a cross. Beware you don't get distracted by all the greatness that the world tells you matters. The kingdom is coming. It's on its way. I promise. But you might miss it if you're looking at the buildings or listening to a false teacher. And then... Jesus ends this selection of scripture today by saying, this is the beginning of the birth pangs, right? That, that was the line that scared me as a kid, like that whole list, and then that's just the beginning. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Right? That, it, it just goes so scary so quickly. But look again. What might this really mean? 
Anyone who has ever given birth or been present at a birth or even been forced to watch a birthing video in health class knows that birth pangs are not fun. Right? They're painful. Birth is hard. It's called labor for a reason, right? But also, birth pangs mean something is about to be born. This is why we don't just call it labor, but we call it labor and delivery. There is an end to the birth pangs, and the end is deliverance from the pain and the ushering in of new life, labor and delivery. When Jesus says, this is just the beginning, it is not a threat. It's a promise. It is hope. Just as we heard Stacy read in the Hebrews text today, this is the hope we hold to because God who has promised is faithful. This is just the beginning. It is not a mistake that this text is read today, just before we get into Advent, before we begin our preparations for the birth of a king, the arrival of the new system that will change everything and tear the old one down. And changing everything, changing the systems of this world, all the way we look at things, how we define who has power, the very way we define greatness, that is hard work. It is labor. It is painful. But it is just the beginning. So if you are sitting here this morning struggling with this text, with your life, if you don't know what you believe, if you feel like the world is against you or there's chaos that's causing you to be afraid, if you feel like you have no voice or power, even if you maybe have just realized just now that you have been led astray by a false teaching and an idolatry of grandeur, there is something else coming. Something better and new and for you. That is what we gather around today. And we can feel all of these ways confused and scared. And still, as again, David Lowe says, we can be honest about how we feel, about our limited attention span, our penchant for spectacle and preference for the outrageous. And then we can realize a second thing, a more important thing, that God loves us anyway, just the way we are. That God has not given up on us. That even as we marvel at things that just don't matter and miss the ordinary around us, God still comes to us, always in love, always to save. This is just 
the beginning of the birth pains. Amen. You spread the sea so I can walk.